Uzo, I appreciate you uh, you joining today. Look forward to, to hearing, um, you know, kind of what you have to offer listeners. But wanted to start just by asking, in general, what is it that you do and why do you do it? Yeah, uh, so basically I create content for, for Black audiences. Um, or better said, I help facilitate the creation of content for Black audiences. So my company is called Black Oak TV. We basically create, curate, and distribute content that is designed to tell stories that reflect the lives and experiences of Black people in the United States and across the globe. So ultimately, it's, it's my job to try and find the storytellers who know their audience, want to speak to their audience, and are just looking for the resources to do it and make sure that I can connect them with a, a group of people, a community of people that wants those stories, that feels like they've been neglected by traditional media, other forms of media, and haven't been able to see themselves represented on TV and video in the way that they like. So, um, you know, I get to go out and meet awesome storytellers. I get to read amazing stories, see amazing stories, and also talk to the people who are just excited about watching TV, about Black characters and Black life experiences as much as I am. That's awesome. And it's from, I mean, just kind of looking at your your background, and we can dive into it a little bit, but how how did you decide to just create your own network? Like a lot of people have this idea that they want to see more Black representation, especially in the media, but how did you just, I mean, literally created your own network to do it? Yeah, I mean, basically it just came from really being a student of the industry, seeing everything that was going out there and understanding that this was probably the best way to solve for the problem that there was enough Black content out there. So I worked in media my whole life, um, started off as a journalist, ended up moving into production and TV and, and radio, and that moved on to doing some consulting for media companies and then ultimately ending up like at a big company like YouTube where I was working on the content team. And throughout all of that time, it was it was always, you know, my goal to try and see more of our faces on the screen in these places, on these big platforms and media mediums. And it just wasn't happening. And I think it was when I got to the last place I was at, which was YouTube. And you know, thinking, hey, here I am, I'm in Silicon Valley, the democratization of the internet, we have, you know, all these well-meaning liberal people who want to do the right thing, and yet we were still seeing issues with the Black people getting their fair shake on, on YouTube, creators feeling like they weren't necessarily getting the same monetization or even viewership opportunities that their counterparts were. And so it was just, you know, really obvious to me that the the only way you were going to see Black stories accurately reflected in the medium was if you had a company that was 100% focused on that audience. Because if you simply just think about it from purely a business perspective, and Lord knows there's a lot of other stuff that goes into how these decisions get made, but just from a business perspective, if you have... Um, if you have a show and it costs you $5 million and it's going to reach 
60% of America and you have another show and it costs you $5 million, but it's only going to reach 10% of America. The one that makes more sense is the one that's going to reach more people. And if time after time after time you're presented with those opportunities or those dichotomies, you are more or less going to always lean towards picking the one that is going to reach more of a mass audience. And that means the niche audience, the minority, is often going to be left out and underrepresented on these platforms. The So the most logical way to fix that was to say, hey, let's have a network that is 100% focused on the Black audience. The same way ESPN said, hey, there's not enough sports on the 11 o'clock news. <laughs> you know, so let's create a network where all we care about are sports fans. So that's basically what we're doing with Black Oak TV. Um, by no means are we the first to think about this. You know, BET was obviously the, the ultimate pioneer from a TV perspective. Before that, you had magazines like Jet and Ebony, uh, and you even have some smaller streamers that are, that are in the business that we're in too. You know, we're taking a slightly different approach to it, but, you know, more or less the same idea. Like we want to focus 100% on this audience, and we believe that there are enough of them that are passionate about Black stories and Black characters where we can build a big business out of it. Man, that's awesome. Is is the concerns about the um, that equal representation legitimate whenever it comes to, and you don't have to get into the specifics, but when we think about YouTube, it's supposedly like this independent platform, right? Where I'm just putting my content out there and then fans of whatever that could be would find it. Is there truly an issue of of underrepresentation and, and this push towards other other content creators? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, that is that is how YouTube works. But there there are things that, you know, like so many other aspects of of society that, you know, just make things a little bit harder for certain people. So, for example, um, black content on on YouTube, you know, is is not considered as necessarily getting as well monetized as other forms of content because advertisers don't necessarily aren't necessarily as mm. interested in targeting that audience or the sales team isn't as good at going at going out there and selling those black audiences against those channels that are largely, you know, bringing in black eyeballs. Um, you know, and then, you know, YouTube has these things, you know, has these um these campaigns sometimes, especially when when they're trying to court advertisers. They'll say, "Hey, we have this uh, creator with 10 million fans that does cooking or this creator that has 5 million fans and does science and you know, unfortunately, you know, some of those first several campaigns, uh, you know, largely left black creators out of it. And so those people get publicized and get put on uh, on on Madison Avenue and subways. And so the advertisers are trying to court them and and they have all these additional opportunities that are brought by that exposure of a big giant company like YouTube and Google going out and promoting these voices. So the, that ends up tipping the scales, too. So it's little things here and there. Um, and then there are just some natural biases, right? Like if people on the platform are turned off by a black creator that, um, you know, is speaking about something that they're not interested in, they're more likely to get downvoted and, and, and their video might not be, might not do as well um, just because there's a bigger audience that's not interested in what they're doing that exists on the platform. So there are lots of little things and, and believe me, YouTube is, is doing their best to address those things right. in great deal. And, and, and so I know they mean well, but you know, there's just a lot of work to do and there's only so much you can do when you have to cater to 2 billion people 
as your entire audience. Well, then how I want to touch on on the dichotomy that you mentioned in in two ways. You know, there's this, the idea that you're only going to reach 10 percent of the population. How did then did you get like venture capital funding for a business that's such a narrow niche market? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I often use the term niche, but I think the, the truth is like it it's much bigger than that. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, anything that is 10 percent. And, you know, and I'm just talking about the, the United States market, anything that's, you know, 10 and, and really 12, 13 percent of, of the U.S. market is a huge opportunity. And right. so it, from that framework, it's still it's still pretty big. Um, and so when you when you do the back of the envelope math, it, it's still a multi-billion dollar opportunity. So quite frankly, it, it wasn't that hard to bring that to VCs. The 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 thing for them was was more about the the competition and how we compete against these other things. Okay. But there's there's definitely the the math out there. I mean, there are almost 20 million black households out there. If you think about it, you know, Comcast as a cable company, I think, you know, they reach about 20 million households or something like that. So it's it's definitely a a very big opportunity if if we can you know delight those customers and then the second piece that would be from the advertisers standpoint so does your network and i guess maybe we should start with with the framework of how how black oak tv works but are are you trying to connect those advertisers to particular programs as well and then are you able to sell that to them yeah so so black oak tv is a streaming platform um people tell me not to make this comparison but make it anyway you know it's like netflix but you know specifically for black people focusing on black content so people can come to our platform we have a website we have mobile apps we have apps on roku and amazon and google and you can download those and you subscribe to our platform for 6.99 per month and you get access to all of our shows and um, that's fairly fairly simple just like netflix just like paramount showtime all those things out there we don't have ads yet so we don't have um you know a free ad supported platform we don't have a um ad light program that you pay subscription price for it's strictly subscription right now down the road i think we will definitely be involved in ads in some form or fashion I'd say right now we, we want to stay away from that for as long as possible, mainly because I know from working at a big company at Google, like how intensive that is, how all consuming you can be when everything is about driving revenue through ads. And the fact that at that point in time, you also become a business to business to consumer company, as opposed to a business to consumer company, because now as, as much as you want to be worried about the, your viewers, you also have to be worried about your advertisers and your advertisers are the one paying you. So really your customer is the advertiser. And because of the nature of what we're doing, I think it's very important that we, that our customer be the, the black audience um, first and foremost. And once we fully understand that, once we've learned enough about them and what they want from us as a platform, then hopefully we can start to pivot to bringing in advertisers and offering diversity experiences for for folks at all different price points. That's a powerful insight. Like you don't think about it in the terms of once you have an advertiser, like that becomes your primary focus as the business because that's who you're trying to fulfill, you know, the needs of. I mean, it's true. they're the ones that pay your bills, and yeah. so if you if you don't if you don't give them what they want. You're not going to be able to to have the money to run your business, to serve the viewers, the content that they need. I mean, it's, it's the truth of it. And again, I don't begrudge anybody. I mean, that's how 
TV has worked for the longest and um, since its invention, you know, it was founded on advertising. So there's nothing wrong with it. You can definitely service your customer and your advertisers at the same time. But I think it is, it is certainly a lot easier to do that when you are a bigger company that really understands your customer. And I think we're just so early on in the process that we still have a lot of learning to do about what our customers want. And we don't have enough people at the company to really divide our attention between focusing on our subscribers and focusing on our advertisers. So for right now, we're focused on the former and we hope to later on down the line, bring in advertisers as well to do, to do what I think will be will make for even a better experience on Black Oak TV. How are you curating the content for the for the network? Is it something where you're um, and maybe your team is identifying opportunities or or creators that would fit, or how is it kind of based on user demand? What what's the process like? Yeah, um, I wish we could say we had like this really amazing process. Uh, a lot of it is you know our own gut intuition. You know, I got into this because I love black content. I'm a kid of the 90s. I grew up at yeah. a time where there was, you know, a lot of awesome shows on broadcast television that, you know, Black people and, and non-people alike were, were watching in, in, in spades. So I, I love this stuff. I watch a lot of TV, probably too much TV. And so I, I try to bring my sensibilities and those that I know to the conversation. But also having worked at YouTube and in big tech, like I definitely really appreciate the numbers and, and the data that goes into it. So it's a mix of both. You know, we work, for example, with a lot of YouTube creators. And so we'll go out to, to them, to the ones that we feel, you know, make them the most sense for us from a business perspective and say, hey, you know, these folks have a big audience. We see that people are, you know, really in love with the shows that they're making. They're selling t-shirts. So we know the folks that come to them don't mind, you know, paying for the stuff that this creator has to offer, that they have this direct relationship that engenders that trust to buy from them. Uh, and then, you know, we can actually look at the content they have and say, hey, what's, who, what is most in demand? what looks really cool, what what has an opportunity to grow into a bigger story just from this one video that you made into a series of videos that could make up a TV show. So uh, we mix that data with the art to try and come up with the best slate that we can. And I would say no decision is like the other mm -hmm. uh, exactly, but for, for the most part, you know, we're, we're really just trying to, you know, first break down the ones that make the most sense from a numbers perspective. And then among those trying to say, okay, how can we bring the most creative, most, you know, awesome, amazing content out of what's available to us here to make something that we think our audiences will love. And then once that's identified, what's the production like? Is it do you guys have your own studio or is it kind of left up to the creators to create that product? Yeah. So for the most part, so when we're working with creators, they are, you know, almost fully responsible for the production, right? So we're giving them the resources they need, but they are managing it. So if you know, if you if you think about someone um like if you think about BET and their relationship with Tyler Perry, right? Like mm. for the most part, they're giving Tyler Perry the resources he needs and that's really capital. And then he turns around and does what he needs. He's, he's a producer. He produces the content. That's what we're doing. We're working out with these creators. 
who are generally their own producers or work with other producers and they create the, their content. Now, some things we do create in-house. And so that's us just putting together our own production team to go out and create these things in, in the wild. So we don't have an actual physical studio, but we'll go on location, you know, get, get spots for us, rent them out, borrow them, whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, we'll buy our own equipment and things like that. Uh, so there's no physical studio, but we do make the production by, by you know, contracting a team of folks to to go out and make something that is directly of our own creation. But um, most of the content we do is from our creators, whom are largely creating those things almost independently and hiring their own teams and producing the work outside of Black Oak TV. That's pretty cool. Is that a standard operating procedure for? Like with maybe another streaming service or is, I mean, that's different than how TV has always worked mm -hmm. in the past, right? I mean, is this kind of how it works now or is this different? No, I mean, that's more or less how it works. Like TV is more or less broken down into three things. It is, or I should say video is broken down into mm -hmm. three things. Content is broken down <laughs> into three things, if we're being honest. So there's, there's the distributor. So there's the person, there's the company that has the relationship with the end, end user. There is the aggregator. So it is the, the, per, the tastemaker who says, hey, this content is good. That content is bad. I'm going to bring the best of it here on my service. And then you have the, the creator, the person who actually creates the content. So, for example, if you if you think if you go back to, um, you know, the, the Tyler Perry example, he you know, he's the independent producer, he's the creator, he creates something. Then BET says, hey, that's really awesome. We want to bring you in. By the way, we're also buying a bunch of content from other producers, and that allows us to create a channel called BET. And then BET goes out to Cablevision and Time Warner or, you know, the other cable companies out there and says, hey, I would like you to carry BET. And then Comcast will go out there and say, hey, what we'll say go out to consumers and say hey we have BET and ESPN and CBS and NBC would you like to pay us money for access to these channels and so it, it actually is pretty bifurcated now a lot a lot of that sometimes get verticalized so you have the uh, you know in some cases you have the distribution company owning the aggregator and the aggregator hiring the creator to be in-house so they can be and different combination, but generally it is divided into those to those three things. So we're not that nuanced. I'd say the the probably the more interesting thing about the way that that we're doing it right is that you know we just we don't have any we don't have an actual studio, and that we're also kind of combining the distribution and the aggregation into one place, which is again not unlike what Netflix does. Why do they they not want you to use that? The, the term Netflix when, whenever you're comparing? Well, you know, whenever I talk to somebody who's advising me or somebody in PR or whatever, you know, people give me, giving me advice, and, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, don't, don't compare yourself to other companies. Talk about how you're different. Okay. I, I don't, I don't disagree with it, but right. I do know like the magic of like, you know, trying to easily uh, tell people what you do. And sometimes those comparisons help, but perhaps that's me taking the the lazy way out and not, and not a fully explaining what it is we do on our own. No, I mean, I think I agree with you. I think there's a, a, a good balance there of like, it's a quick way to say, let someone know exactly what you're doing. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, people already, it's not like you're giving attention to a, a competitor. I mean, people already know what Netflix is. So, right. How, how is, what is the, maybe they're the same thing, but how is like this, the streaming era now that, you know, kind of with cord cutting and things like that, different or the same from just typical content creation that we, that we see or like, what, what is this streaming era and how is it changing the way we um, find entertainment? It's a good question. I, I say the main thing is that it's allowing people to watch what they want to watch. And to be honest, streaming is just the current iteration of that. Uh, you know, if you go back 70 years, we just had three channels on tv right and then and then all of a sudden you know the vcr came and so now you could you know have on-demand viewing to some extent and then you had cable come and it's like okay now you have hundreds and eventually thousands of channels with cable and satellite growing over those decades and now the internet and streaming is basically saying okay hey here are a million things uh, even more so to be honest (laughs) to choose from uh, that you can watch at any time. And we're creating these algorithms that get to learn what you like and recommend what you like to you so that you can easily find the stuff that you like. So I think the main thing that it's doing is it is allowing us to watch the things that we engage with the most. And um, it's really, it's really making it so that us as a whole, as a country, as a world, aren't are no longer watching the same things. We're not mm. getting, we're not sharing the same experiences in TV, which you know has pros and cons to it. Uh, certainly, on the pro side, people get more of what they want. People that you know feel like their stories aren't told can come to a place like Black Oak TV and find those stories being told. And and also on the flip side creators who may not have had uh you know an easy path through hollywood because their stories weren't what the masses wanted now they can now they have aggregators and distributors who are interested in their stories and so now it allows for even more stories to be told by more storytellers uh so that's on the pro side but on the con side you know it means you know we don't all watch the same news programs um you know we watch eight shows and and well, eight episodes of one show in one night and, you know, our friends watch it a month later. And so now we never talk about those things in, right. in the way that we used to. So I, I think that is, you know, unfortunate in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think over time, you know, some of that can be solved um, through technology, through, you know, creative ways of releasing content. And, you know, we hope to do some of that. Um but, you know, some of it is just, hey, you know, things like TikTok exist, right, where people are watching little 15 second clips of exactly what they want and you get it over and over again. And so I, I think that's the way we're going no matter what. And so um, it's best to see how we can improve and make that experience as, as positive as possible. Is is it really like the end user's attention like when, when you think about competition and I had someone um, phrase this to me in a way that I hadn't thought of before, like 
my businesses are in like home services. So your competition isn't always like necessarily another plumber or another heating and air person. It's whatever that homeowner was going to spend that money on. Right. So for in media, do you consider the competition like whatever the end user was going to spend their attention on, whether that be social media or a different streaming service? And then how do you then market yourself? Because that's something, you know, even in this format of a podcast, like the promotion of it is different than anything I've experienced in the past when you're the thing you're promoting is the thing that the people are seeing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We live in an attention comedy, uh, uh, an intention economy. And I think that's just the fact of it. I mean, the, the fact that you have this podcast and are communicating with people like you're stealing viewers away from from Netflix and from Black Oak TV, as well as from, um, you know, radio stations and Spotify. So that is what it is, right? There are only so many hours in a day. People can only consume so much. And so and then on top of that, you have these massive platforms like Google and Facebook and Netflix and Disney and Fortnite that are consuming so much of everyone's time that for up and comers, for new entrants, new companies like us, mm-hmm. it is harder to break in there. Um, I, I'd say, you know, to your point about how, you know, how you do that, I mean, I think you... I think, unfortunately, you have to go to the big companies where the attention is at, right? So you have to go to TikTok, you have to go to Instagram, you have to go to YouTube, you have to go on their platforms, on their mediums, and basically try to break through, try to try to get attention where all the attention is being held, and take a little bit of time to try and convince people perhaps in one moment, perhaps over many moments that they, that they should check out what you have. And then your goal is just when you do get them to your site, when you do get them to your platform, you have to win them over. Mm-hmm. And so in some cases, you have to win them over and over and over again, because when they return to the big attention realm, somebody else is going to be vying for their time yet again. So it's, you know, it's very hard. Now, I think on the flip side, like if you have an awesome product, it's going, it's going to do well in the attention economy, attention economy, right? Like people reward things that they like, things that are cool, things that help people and bring value. Those are going to be rewarded. Um, But, you know, it's still, it's still hard, but I think the truth is it's always been hard. I mean, I think, you know, before the only way to break through was to make a you know five hundred thousand dollar commercial and spend millions of ads millions of dollars in ads on tv or to you know do a classified ad in the newspaper so i, I think those were really hard ways to build businesses too so um right now it just comes down to how creative you can be in these spaces and how compelling of a product you have uh, thanks for that explanation because i feel like that was um really helpful for me at least um and how has your thoughts on it changed, I guess, whenever you go from working at like a, you know, big tech company to now running a VC a, a backed business? Like, how have you had to change in your approach to, to media as a whole, or just kind of your approach to, to what you're doing for work? So I mean, it's, it's in the same line, but it's a very different um, way of doing it, right? 
Yeah, I mean, as far as my approach to media, I I guess I would say my my, my perspective hasn't changed. Like, I think right. I've always understood the perspective from working on that side of the coin as well. But typically, obviously, what I do on a day-to-day basis is very different. I mean, first and foremost, in trying to run this company, like, I'm wearing a lot of hats. I'm, I'm doing accounting and finance and taxes and you know, all that super fun stuff. So I have to carve out, <laughs> carve out time for that. But I think more importantly, you know, I just, I just have to be more creative, uh, more efficient. You know, I don't have millions of dollars to, to blow through and ads on, on Facebook or YouTube to, to, to get awareness or to educate people about what we're doing. So we have to do something that, that breaks through. Or we have to create ads that you know work at a really low um, cost per acquisition. So it just really comes down to trying to be creative, trying to figure out how you can do the same things big companies do for less. Like that's ultimately what it is about a venture-backed business. How how can I acquire that same user that Google is looking to acquire? or retain for whatever reason and do it for far less money uh again some of it just goes back to i'm doing something that google isn't providing value that google isn't and so that is one obvious way to pique someone's interest but even if i'm doing something different like there are a lot of people competing for that time and so i need to think about okay how do how do i resonate what does my messaging need to be what does my customer want to hear what is most important to them what you know what what show do i need to really lean into so it is really always trying to you know honestly be creative about what we're doing and and testing and reiterating so you you take a swing you see if it works more times than not it does not and then you and then you go back and test again and you hope you find something and you know at least in our what it's been three years now you know we test and iterate test and iterate we find something that works we go all in on it and you know it probably works for i don't know three to six months and then it fizzles out and you have to go back to testing and iterating again now some of that is just you know hey we haven't nailed down product market fit so that's part of it but i think some of it is you know this economy is just moving especially since covid things have been yeah. you know very interesting very up and down things constantly changing so i think that's a part of it um and so i think a lot of companies are always just having to rethink i mean for the better part of 2020 and 2021 it was all about hey go all in on facebook ads go all in on youtube ads and you'll be able to get users. And that's what was happening. And then somewhere at the beginning of last year, it was like, whoa, everybody's like, whoa, this costs too much. Everybody slow down. Let's figure out how we can organically acquire people, how we can do things just by creating content on TikTok yeah. or writing blogs or whatever it may be. So I think this economy is going to go up and down like that, where certain areas of the attention economy are going to get flooded. And then people are going to go scrambling, looking for the next place. People will flood that and people will scramble elsewhere again. And it's probably going to happen in faster and faster cycles. I think the, I think great companies will figure out how to get out of those cycles and find areas where nobody is at and, and try to really dominate that. But, you know, I think 
in most cases, people will see what you're doing. Your competitors will see what you're doing and they'll follow you there and they'll flood that space and kind of force you to figure out the next thing too. I mean, such is the the nature of business though. So yeah. what, what does success then look like for Black Oak TV? Like what's a, not maybe not an end goal, but what, what would make you feel like, hey, we're, you know, doing what we're supposed to be doing? I mean, ultimately, if if we can just get to an area where we are regularly creating fresh, new, quality content that features Black people and Black characters and tells amazing Black stories, and that in turn can builds up a library where we where we have lots and lots of shows and films with that and we're able to do that profitably that's that's my goal that's that's the first goal like if we can get to that point where we are regularly turning out new stuff building up a library of amazing content and figuring out a way to do that profitably that is that is our goal from there you know we hope to do a lot more like we we hope to um you know be you know, create stuff like what you see on HBO and on and on Netflix and to, you know, really build a community. I think one of the one of the major reasons I've always thought Black Oak TV could work is because black people have a unique presence. Well, black people have first of all have a unique way of communicating with one another, obviously, but then also have a unique presence online, right? There's there's black Twitter. The, the comments that happen on these uh, on these you know black centric YouTube sites are amazing. You have things like you know you have these you have these gossip sites and things where you know we just talk and you know in a very fun and entertaining way about silly stuff. And so I think there's just a lot of community and conversation that could be had around TV shows that again I think we used to have in person. Um, but now that's transitioned online and I think we can be a home for that. So, um, yeah, I, I really just think we can build a community around this. I think we can, um, actually move into physical areas of the medium. So whether that be, you know, distributing mu- movies and theaters, whether that be having events and, um, film festivals and meet and greets and all those types of things, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to, you know, have TV shows and film available on streaming, on demand at the center of what we do, but branch out into these other things that delight our customers, especially our most most fervent ones, and allow them to feel like they're a part of something and, and, and can experience that from time to time. That's pretty cool. Whenever you think about the future of, of Black media in in particular, do you think that the strive should be to to try and break through the more traditional route or is it going to be found in something like Black Oak TV? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think it's both. I think yeah. it's both. I think it's very important to have people in the system that are, you know, doing the work of finding the best content and bringing their unique perspectives to the table. So. Uh, whether you're a white person, black person, brown person, whatever, would bring your experiences to the places where these decisions are being made and use that to be reflected in the content that you have. And if people are doing that, and if you have, you know, 
representation in all of these rooms, then hopefully that means we can see changes in mass media where those stories are getting told at the biggest of levels. Because the one, you know, when I think when I think about Black Oak TV and like what it actually can do on societal level, you know, again, being a student of this industry, I understand how much the the visuals and the stories that are told actually affect how people think about other people. You know, there are parts of America where the only black people they see are the ones on television. And so mm-hmm. if they are not, if the if the stories are slanted or missing, then their their understanding of black people is going to be wildly out of place. And so with Black Oak TV, obviously our goal is to reach black people. And by the way, the images they see on TV of themselves reflect how they feel about themselves. Like there are tons of stories about that. And so I think we're affecting that on a societal level, or that is our goal to to affect that on a societal level, to to tell the type of stories that allow black people to feel seen and feel like they can be them true selves in the world and feel confident about that because they're they can see themselves, you know, in certain settings, doing doing amazing things in a fictional world. Like that's actually very important to both kids and adults. But if it's just black people feeling better about themselves and not, you know, everyone else also being more accustomed and in tune with black people in their lives and, and, and the stories that they have, then I think that's only us solving half of the problem. So we need other people out there at ABC, at NBC, at Netflix, also making sure that Black stories are being told for the masses so that so that non-Black people and Black people alike are getting to see more of this content. Um, and, it, so, and it's not just siloed in these places where people just go to get what they want. Did, did you have particular experiences like growing up that is driving that passion? And I ask because what you mentioned struck a tone with me because I grew up in a in very rural West Virginia. So there was very little black representation in my life. And mm-hmm. a big piece of that was like we talked earlier about, you know, I grew up in the nineties as well. So like when you see the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, or, you know, shows like that, the Cosby show, like it, that was the only representation I was seeing of what, what it meant. A lot of what I was told that I was supposed to be was from other people in the community that weren't black. And it's like, that's a powerful message that, you know, growing up today, there's, there's outlets that you could find stories for people that look like yourself. So did you have particular things growing up or was it just that you felt like there was something missing? Like I'm not seeing myself represented in in what I'm watching. You know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I would ultimately just have to say it was, it was probably a product of the places I grew up. I mean, I, I was born in, I was born in Hampton Roads, you know, a very, a very, a very black place that was, you know, very prideful of that. And, you know, it came from a very strong black family. We moved to the, the DC area and in, in PG County that had a large population of, of black people. But I think that the interesting thing was and, and, you know, I moved to Texas in the latter part of my childhood as well, but it was the same thing where, you know, I had a lot of Black people in my family life and, and to some extent my community life, but when I would go to school, 
mm-hmm. um, was surrounded by by white people, and and I think that perhaps subconsciously, you know, just all made me appreciate the 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 black community because I guess I just saw firsthand like how different my home life, my community life was from from the 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 people and experiences I was having at school, and I you know I actually you know, did fine in school. I got along with everybody. So it wasn't even, it wasn't like I was having a bad time, but I saw the differences. And then I think as, you know, as I grew up, especially in high school in Texas and, you know, went to a high school where maybe, I don't know, two, three, four 4% of us were black. Like, you know, we, you know, we, we found each other we found souls in each other. And by the way, I would say almost none of my friends had any issues with other people or making friends outside of us, but there was something about us coming together and just, you know, again, probably uniquely realizing that, you know, the things that we celebrated at home, the TV shows we watched at home, the the boxers we rooted for for some yeah. reason, some of some of some of the events that happened in the 90s, whether you're talking about Rodney King or or OJ Simpson or or Michael Jackson, these things that kind of divided us racially, they were talked about one way at home and talked about another way and in, in, in public. And so, you know, I guess to some extent, I, you know, me and, and maybe others, you know, internalize that stuff. And again, it's not that it necessarily made me feel different or, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, any type of way or, you know, necessarily, not even necessarily feel any type of way about white people per se, but it just made me always recognize the beauty, the uniqueness in our stories, in our, in our lives, and the way that we do things. And I, you know, and I think I got to celebrate that on TV a lot. And I think as I got older and those shows went away, you know, I, I, you know, I just found myself wanting for more of that looking for more of that and and over time not finding it and i guess this is how we we end up where we are today i appreciate you doing that because articulating that uh helps me as well because like you said it's it can be sensitive especially for people listening it's like when you say something like well i grew up and i didn't see any other black people it's not that that was a bad thing it's just mm-hmm. whether subconsciously or overtly from others you, you are told that you're still different and to not right. see that represented um, as what can become like, it's like, well, you know, am I, am I alone in this almost? So it's like a, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I, so I appreciate your, your take on that as well. Um, but then how did you find, I mean, it sounds like through uh, the strong family and community, I mean, you obviously found success in life. I mean, you went to Columbia for school, right? So you've done well um, and all that. How did, do you think that like it, it's that background that helped you do that? Or was it trying to prove something like, what helped you kind of find success on your on your way up? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's it's just the foundation. You know, my family was always strong on on education. That is for sure. And so I, you know, I thought about going to college from an earliest of, of age, and uh, was that was always at the back of my mind when when trying to get the best grades that I could get. And 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 so yeah, I, I would say that that was just you know schooled into me uh, at home from, from very early on. And, you know, I, so I was always, you know, one trying to trying to do well in school, get good grades and, and excel in those ways. And, you know, probably a bit of, of an overachiever here and there. 
uh, you know, that, that that's probably stopped at some point somewhere in college, but you know, yeah. for a while at least. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah. And then, and then, yeah, I think just internally, I think, you know, for me, I, I, I think I've just always felt like an, an outsider or an imperson, you know, an imposter really, mm-hmm. you know, so, so even when I was probably really good at things, you know, never, never thought I was as good as maybe I was. And so it was just always me trying to, to work harder, to, to be better, to, to do a little bit more. And, and, you know, I think that's afforded me a lot of, of opportunities for sure. Uh, but I, you know, I think I've, I think I've learned perhaps later in life that, you know, it's, it's really about just, it's really about focus and, you know, finding the, I'm not even gonna say, finding the one thing that you can kind of put your your passion behind, your efforts behind, and and really just you know trying to be a master of that thing. I think I think for a long time I was a, a jack of all trades and probably still am, but I'm trying to figure out this this streaming thing, this this startup thing, um, and and so hopefully I can you know start to to master that in some form or fashion here. So. Is it the is it the the media and the content side of it, or is it the business side of it that that that's uh, your passion and all this? You know, it's definitely both. Uh, it's yeah. definitely both. I think I you know I started off with the goal of I wanted to make content. So you know I you know when I was young, you know I wrote books and stories. You know I came out of college. I was a journalist. I went to TV, so I worked at ESPN and CBS. I was I was a producer, so I for a long time I thought, oh, I just wanted to make the content, make the content, make awesome stuff. Uh, and then I, you know, I started doing some consulting for companies when when the internet was really starting to take off. Um, you know, around 2009, 2010, and I realized that you know I had a great understanding of content, I had a great understanding of the internet, just being a millennial and, and that kind of being native to us. And I was starting to see with this consulting that I was doing of how valuable that knowledge was to business and, and how business was changing because of the internet and how, and how you know, before, if you wanted to get into the media industry or the business of media, you had to go through a very finite path, you know, go to LA, you know, work at an agency or be a production assistant or this and that and the internet was changing that and, and it was changing how business was done it was changing in a way that people that had been in the business for 30 years didn't understand what was going on either and so i i realized hey this was an opportunity for for me to perhaps explore this other side of it because i had always been very you know mathematically inclined and, and interested mm-hmm. in numbers and stuff like that and so the business side always intrigued me and so you know, I media, you know, moving into the media business, I thought it was going to be just an awesome way for me to marry my my love of numbers and, and, and data with with making content. And 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 so far it, it has been. Was there a was there like one impetus that made you take that leap from, you know, working at a very safe, uh, you know, tech job to saying I'm going to do this on my own and create my own, um, you know, media empire here like what what was it for you that made you take that leap of faith to say i'm gonna i'm gonna try the business thing uh to be honest it, it was always something i wanted to do yeah. um you know even even when i was 
you know, working at some of these other places, I was generally doing things on the side, you know, whether it was starting a, a blog network, um, you know, running a, an eBay storefront back in the day. Like I was always doing small things to, uh, you know, to, to try and, you know, build up those business muscles. Or I, even, honestly, I was just interested, to be honest. It was just more curiosity and like, you know, how can you, how, how can you turn an apple into, into a profit? Um, and so I was, I've, I, I love that stuff. And so I think, you know, anytime I've been at any job, I've always been, I've, you know, I, I've always tried to talk to people there or peek into departments that I'm not supposed to be peeking into. So right. I can just learn more about different sides of the business because I knew that, you know, hopefully those would be things that I was tackling when I was having my own business. So, you know, I'd say when I was at YouTube, like I always knew like, hey, I, I want to do something else. I didn't know exactly what it would be. I didn't know how it would be done. I didn't know financially how I would afford it. But I think, you know, that time there allowed me to figure it out, to learn some things, to meet a lot of awesome people. You know, I, I ended up living in, in Silicon Valley for a little bit. And so I got to meet a lot of interesting people there uh, as a result. And and then, yeah, you know, once once I had the the idea for what I wanted to do, it was just a matter of of time before I decided to to leave. Well, it sounds so familiar, probably for a lot of people. But like I had gone down this road of what I thought I wanted to do, and was working in corporate finance, and just always had that urge to like do something entrepreneurial, or like just kind of the freedom of doing it on my own, or you know, even if it meant less money, it was like I was in control of it. And I thought mm -hmm. that there was there was something about yeah. that. And now taking this foray into doing the, the the media thing and the content creation has been more of a, a passion project, like just because I enjoy the conversations um, and, th and then hopefully by sharing stories like yours, you know, somebody can get something from it. But how does somebody like myself do our part to, in your mind, contribute to to empowering black media, right? Is it just sharing stories, you know, like yours? Is, I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I don't know. I struggle with this because on the one hand, you know, I'm I'm that person. I I'm you know I'm that person who thinks like Issa Rae, right? Like I'm I'm rooting for everybody black. Like I'm I, yeah. I want to see us win. I want to see us do well. You know, I get excited when I when I see, you know, you know, P. Diddy make a major move or Beyonce make a major move or, or Byron Allen or or Tyler Perry, like I, you know, I get excited about that, A, because like, I know, you know, how hard those things are to come by and how rare they are. But also I understand that, you know, the more younger people see things like that happening, the, the more, the more they can dream. Right. And so I, I appreciate that as well. Uh, and so on, on the one hand, like, you know, I, you know, I think people should just, you know, give black media a chance and, and, right. you know, see, you know, and I, and that doesn't mean just throw your money at them, but you know, try, you know, try that channel, try that new show, try something interesting and, and know more so than supporting black media, what you're really doing is you're supporting black artists, right? Like if, if a company can see that, you know, this little independent film from, from a young black filmmaker who had $300,000 or less to make it with, you know, had some success, reached some audience, resonated with people, that company is going to try and do that with them again and, and maybe give them a little bit more money. So so you're you're supporting Black artists when you do that. Um, but on the other hand, I say, you know, ultimately, it's it's up to it's up to companies to do what they have to do and to 
and to provide value and to solve a a problem that they think exists out there you know now sometimes that's easier said than done when people are competing with you and and you know netflix has a, a strong black lead channel and you know bet which is owned by by viacom at least for now you know they're they're trying to attract black viewers as well so um you know it's it's hard for us to do that but i think you know a combination of us you know really trying to deliver to our audiences what we think they want and testing and reiterating over and over again um that should be the at the fulcrum of it and then if you know folks can give you know that smaller channel a chance i think that's that's really all it that's really all it takes what's um what's one piece of advice that you'd give to somebody that's you know i think more applicably on the on the business side you know kind of thinking the same way you were where it's like i've been doing these things on the side um you know but there's there's things i want to do more what's what's something that people can apply and and do to kind of take that next step in their career and their business? I guess I would say two things. One, just do it. Like just start doing it no matter what, whatever fashion you can. There are so many resources, so many websites and gadgets and things to help you get your business going that it's, it's, very, it's very hard to say that it's not possible to do what you want to do, even if it's at a small scale, even if it's a, a fraction of what you really want to be doing. It's it's very hard to say that there's no way for you to get started. So get started, get going. That that's my first thing because that's that's the hardest step, and 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 you have to do that. The second thing is, you know, if there's something you really need to launch or to take that start and make it bigger or whatever it is. So you know, if in my in my case it was you know venture capital, and someone else's case it might be a loan or it might be just resources. Go and find somebody who has who has done what you want to do or close to it or has acquired the resources that you need or close to it and ask them how they did it and ask ask them all the ways they went about getting those those resources because I think the truth is most of what in any any resource intensive business, anything that requires lots of money or people or stuff, you know, sometimes that is the case. You know, not all businesses are that way, but if it is a business that is that way, largely it just comes when it comes to getting those resources. Largely, it just comes down to asking enough people. Like again, if you and and listen, that means you have to be you have to be smart, you have to present well, you have to know your stuff, you you have to do your research. You, you have to tell a good story. You have to do your part, no, no doubt. You have to show up prepared. But if you, if you do all those things and you ask 100 people that are in the business of providing those resources, I, th- I think you get it. I think all you right. get it. And, and I know, you know that's easier said for some people than other people. But even then, I think if you, if you ask enough people and, and your number might be, more, might be more than my number and vice versa. But if you if you hit that number, if it's a hundred, if it's two hundred, if it's five hundred, you will you will probably get it. If if you have a credible idea and you're a credible person, you will get it. Like there, are, you know, that's the thing about capitalism that if you if people are interested in making money and if you can show them how you potentially can do it, there's likely someone out there who 
who will agree with your thesis. If, if Again, it has to make some sense. You can't pitch something that makes no sense. But if you pitch something that makes sense and you've run it by other people and they say it makes sense, you know, pitch it to 100 people and see what happens. You know, I was reading the story about, you know, these 20 year olds who, you know, bought a house for $900,000 using other people's money. And it wasn't some scam or scheme. They just went out and they asked like 200 real estate investors, would you lend us $5,000? They got, you know, 16 or 17 of them to get them the money they needed for a down payment. And now they have like, you know, 10 units um, for the 900,000 bucks. Like it, it seems, it seems so simple because it is now it's, it's hard work. There's, there's hard work in that simplicity. It's difficult to do that over and over again to get rejected over and over again. But if you ask enough and your idea is good, almost certainly you will get what you need or, or certainly darn close to it. No, I agree. And then what's the best way for people to uh, follow you or to find Black Oak TV and, and kind of follow the journey? Yeah, just check us out at blackoak.tv. So you can go to our website there or you can search for Black Oak TV, all one word on, on all major devices. So Roku, Apple, Google Play, search for us there. You can download us. You get a free trial. You can check out some of our amazing shows, uh, some really good ones up there. And we're only adding more and more every month. So the, the service gets better all the time. I can't thank you enough for taking some time to, to shed some light on everything here. And uh, appreciate you being on the show, man. All right. Well, thank you for having me, Jordan. It's great.